another episode of Michael Quaver Presents. Episode number seven, we are up to support the opposition. Last week, I talked about the restaurant industry uh, where I work and the many practices, the industry <laughs> standards, which are my Bible to go by. They are not necessarily that uh, religious, uh, or <laughs> and it, it's not an important text in the current atmosphere that I work in. So I thought I would tell a few more stories today and a few uh, medical things and, and different trials and tribulations with personal relationships this week. So I'm just going to get into some of that. Um, I'll give you, for instance, uh, a friend of the family uh, was having some turmoil between the different branches of the family tree, shaking to see you know who's going to fall off of what branches. All right. A uh, young lady and her brother, uh, both 20-something, uh, are living together, but not getting along. And she said to him, you know, I think it's time that I live on my own. And, you know, she's got a daughter, and so it's a two-bedroom apartment. Daughter's turning five, so mom's going to have a bedroom. Five-year-old's going to have a bedroom, going to go to school, and they're going to work on their lives uh, their maturity she's going to help you know try to influence her daughter the best way possible she is an entrepreneur who owns her own business and so um the brother um was given some household rules as i understood it and did not follow through with some of those things and so she said well you know i'd rather not have him here and have the space for my daughter because he doesn't really bring anything to the table I said, well, doesn't he pay for it? She said, yes, but I don't need his money as much as I need that space for my daughter. And I thought, well, that's an interesting uh, dilemma that you have to figure out in your own mind. So <clears throat> she then told me that several members of the extended family gave her a call. And <laughs> they, they said, well, you can't, you can't let him go. You have to let him live with you. You can't kick him out. And she was giving me... This unflattering <coughs> view of, of how people looked at her and that she was, you know, turning her back on this family member, on her own brother. And I said, well, you're 20-something. He works, right? He's got gainful employment. He's out there manipulating the uh, intersections. And he's, you know, doing his job. And so he's able to function, right? If he's employed and he can follow those rules and structure, why can't he follow the rules of a home? Why can't he agree to have a lease or rent or anything else, right? She said, well, no, they said, you know, I should let him live with me because he's not able to do such and such. And I said, well, wait a minute. Why can't he live with these extended members of the family who are advocating that he not live on his own? She said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, that's what you need. You need to pose these questions to them. Why is he my responsibility as a single mother? Why can't he have a place with you guys? Aren't there other options? He was somewhere before he came to her place, right? Yes, before brother came to live with sister, brother lived with mom and stepdad and so forth. And they decided that he couldn't stay there anymore. It was okay for them to kick him out, for him not to be able to stay there anymore. It, they just don't want him to leave the next place. <clears throat> they don't want to take him on. They just don't want to see him you know, struggling. 
And I don't know that struggling is the right word. We put so much faith in our kids to go to school, and this the young man I'm talking about was in the armed forces. I mean, he's got a great uh, supervisor's job uh, with a construction company. So to say that he's incapable, there's where the argument begins. He's perfectly capable of living on his own, of being his own person. He doesn't have to, no, he doesn't have to follow your household structure or anything else. He needs to come up with his own. He's in his 20s, and he should, you know. By the time I was his age, I'd wrestled on, you know, <coughs> live television and been in these magazines for professional wrestlers, and, you know, they put my results in the back, and we had videotaped traders with our names on websites around the world. And it's fun to, to think that, like, I was semi important to a very i don't know how small group of people for a, a while and there's vhs tapes out there there's stuff on youtube and i run across folks now and then who remember me and, and it's nice um best story we ever had tag team partner and i we've gone to see the wcw world championship wrestling it is the summer the spring WCW didn't last past March 2001, so we must have gone in January, February. Anyway, we're at the Lawrence Joel Veterans Memorial Coliseum in the fall of 2000 or the spring of 2001. I'm sure we could Google this up real quick. But uh, these fans at the concession stand stopped us and said, Hey, hey we know who you are. You're the, tag You're the bomb squad. You're and that was our tag team name. We were the bomb squad. We were well, We'd paid to come see the show because we didn't obey the etiquette of wrestlers, the dignity of wrestlers. You don't pay to go into somebody else's show. If you're invited, you go visit in the back, visit the boys, uh, the locker rooms. But you don't pay to get a ticket to a, to a wrestling show. That's part of the self-respect of being your own professional wrestlers, not to pay to be uh, in the audience at somebody else's show. Anyway, I was doing those foolish things and jumping off of ladders and through tables and off of cages and all kinds of stuff when I was this young man's age. Didn't live on my own, though. The woman who would become the mother of my children, me and her met. Um, I guess I was living with family at that point. Right. And then um, I moved in with, with the woman who would become the mother of my children. Who's uh, She's still their mother today. And she's a, a fabulous woman who has uh, several degrees from college. She's a registered nurse, and I, I have lost count. But it's more than a dozen states. She's helped a lot of people. She's a very, very sweet woman. I'm uh, very proud of the work that she's done with my children and uh, the ambition she's had on her own. So, yes, family has helped, and co-living um, has helped many situations in my past. <laughs> and I'm not advocating that this young man... You know, he's, he's got to stay with somebody because that's what I did, and I turned out to be so wonderful. But what I'm saying is, if he ain't good enough to stay in your house, don't preach at somebody else that they should keep him in their house. Lead by example. This is one of the many things that I had an issue with in terms of the restaurant industry, is that the people who work with me, who supervise my role where I work, will grab food or preach at you, this needs to be run to a table. Oh, are your legs broken, boy? 
<laughs> no, they're not. Why isn't the manager running this food? Is the food the priority or is the authoritarian sort of mindset the priority, right? That food could have already been on the table. What are you waiting on me for? Well, uh, yeah, is that counter going to walk away? No, it's not going to walk away. Run it. I've seen guys get paid a lot less to do a lot more work. And they can, <laughs> you know, come on now. And and that's how I approach things. It is <clears throat> not a facetious thing. I have a performance evaluation coming up on Monday, so I'm looking forward forward to that. I've got a bunch of different things in my head that I'm bringing to the evaluation, and I'm going to evaluate them just the same as they evaluate me. Now I know a lot of people are going to look at that and say that's not that's not how that works. It is for me. I, as as Roddy Piper says, just when you think you've got the answers, I change the questions. Uh, George Roderick Toombs, Roddy, Roddy Roddy Piper's real name, his birth name, born April seventeenth, just like moi, just like me. And so I, I had those the trials and tribulations of that. Um, the the friend of mine who's actually the person on the lease from which the brother is going to be. Uh, probably thrown out i guess it remains to be seen there's a she told him by the end of the month he's out well <coughs> i've talked to her a little bit since then and she's just going through like a nervous uh tick about several different things and that's it's it's, it's very stressful to have to have combative conversations with with family members to have tension where you know you think they're very capable and he he ought to be able to go out and conquer the world he's got a job he's got money he's got the skills he's got the potential but you know it, 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 i look at it and say that she is in the right and her head is in the right place she supports him she may not have him underneath of her roof, but she's certainly pulling for him. She's certainly saying he's handy, capable, and he's going to go out there and he's going to, you know, get his own place and he's going to learn how things work. And I think that's really the only way that you can because I've seen that relationship and I've seen, you know, this young woman try to shape and mold her brother and say, here's what needs to be done around the house. Here are your responsibilities and so forth. So it's not like she's given him any lack of opportunities or guidance. Now it's really time for him to, to do it. Um, you know, for any training method that I've ever been shown, the four-step method being the, the most common, where you, you talk about how to do something, you as the trainer show them how to do something, uh, step three being that you, you do it with them and four, that they're going to do it on their own and they're responsible. So uh, I think that from my knowledge of the situation, that's absolutely been the way that she handled it and that he ought to go out on his own. I would be more than comfortable. It's, if that situation was presented to me with my daughter, Riley, and, and my son, Colt, or Jonathan, um, I would support Riley's decision, and, and then I would um, not give her any grief. I would certainly give her a round of applause for uh, taking him in to begin with, for giving him all kinds of, of opportunity. And I don't think that, that she's, you know, there's there's no this is the end, I'm turning my back on you forever kind of thing. It's this is your address today, and your address is going to change. Uh, the amount of love that I have for you or uh, any respect or you know your status as a family member doesn't change whatsoever, right? Still love you, still my brother, but you'll be residing and getting your mail at some other address. 
That's all it is. It's not the end of the world. Um, <clears throat> as far as the other things I was talking about with trials and tribulations, you know, she was facing a lot of adversity uh, from different people, and, and it made her feel like, you know, they just don't, and they don't. They don't understand, and there's uh, there they will cut times in everybody's life. A time will come where you know more than the other people about a situation, and they're going to try to fill you in and and influence your decision. And they don't have the amount of information you have about a situation. There's going to be times where you know you're just the smartest person, the most informed por- uh, person there is about a situation. Then you're going to sit down and say, "This is what I got to do." Other people may or may not understand it. They may give you grief. They may um, give you an argument or, or maybe even try to make you feel some kind of way about it. But remember that you are the person who has the most responsible position, right? And you have the best information from which to make the decision. So when that's the case, you got to go with what you know. You can't just pull it back and go with, you know, what's the best for the people who don't know the rest. It's it's, it's not a good decision. It's not a good look for anybody for you to dumb it down, as some people might say, or handicapped, you know what I mean? So I quite enjoy um, that she shared many of these things or that I've been, you know, a sounding board for some of this stuff. I didn't tell her I was throwing it into a podcast, but I'm not going to speak unflattering about her because she didn't do anything wrong. I fully support her decision. And uh, if any of this, that if she listens to it and, and <clears throat> gains a new respect for herself because somebody else is praising her decision, I hope that's the case because there is nothing like having uh, somebody back you up. It feels good to, to be, you know, in the right or whatever as, as a friend. <laughs> As, as somebody else said to me, nothing feels quite as good as being told you're right. And so I, I said, well, okay. I said, you ought to be pretty excited because you're right about, you know, whatever that thing was. Now, the the, the times and, and the trials and tribulations of my, of my immediate family have changed a great deal in the last week. You know, there's people who've had different medical... Uh, Should we say symptoms? Let's say symptoms. Who, you know, had their own battles with, you know, oh, well, you know, the public perception is if you have a fever, then you have to do this and you're going to do that. And you're gonna... And I understand all of that. I work with the public. So um, I, you know, I get the whole like, we got to have our distance or you better show me a negative test before I can be within a hundred yards of you. And I, I get it. That's the world we live in today. But I don't look at it like anybody's starting from behind the eight ball or in the negative or whatever, and you can't give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I feel strongly enough about most things, and I've talked about this in my writing and different Facebook videos and stuff, that if I was to be diagnosed with cancer or something else, I just wouldn't tell anybody. I would quietly um, have whatever internal struggle there was, and that would be the end of it. Uh, If I beat it, I beat it, but it's not going to be a big let's wear T-shirts and hold hands and put stickers on cars and stuff like that. It's just not going to happen like that. Um I guess um, 
that in these situations with pe- people having the ability to spread and asymptomatic and all of these um, distribution sort of myths. Well, see, that's the thing. Um, some people believe that if you're strong enough, like me with the cancer thing or whatever, right? I'm I'm 38 years old and. If I was to come into contact with the COVID um, deal, I'm not concerned about it. I don't have that to my knowledge, right? Because there's all kinds of things people have and they're di- diagnosed with. But to the best of my knowledge, I have no other pre-existing conditions or complications or anything. So it's not like I would be out in the cold and, you know, COVID's going to do me in. Uh, I don't know uh, how that would go. But... um what I do know is I feel very strongly about the many things that I've talked about with the overpopulation of our planet, etc. And I am not one who's going to sit here and preach to you that the planet is overpopulated. Um, and then um, sit here and, and fight for, you know, 150 years of life. And just, I don't agree with it. Um, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't fully support anybody else's decision to try to spend money or, you know, use whatever medical miracles. It's just not for me. <clears throat> and I think that's, it's interesting, um, that anybody is going to have these stigmas and notions against their family members. Oh, well, wait a minute. You, you were coughing. You had a fever. I'm going to need some test results before you can come back and see me or whatever, whatever. And I go, okay. Um, I don't know how you... How do I feel about this as an objective, let's say, restaurant industry kind of guy? Um, But at the end of the day, like that's how a restaurant might look at it. we would say if you were symptomatic, this, that, and the other, like if you had your, uh, if you had a fever, my understanding is the way that that's being handled right now is to send you home and we'll go from there. And I, I believe you may have to come back with a negative test result. Mm. So that would be the industry standard, the, the practices and stuff like that, um, that would be in place professionally. Like, do I agree with those things from a personal standpoint? Would I tell my uh, loved ones, this brother that I'm kicking out of my house, hey, you had a fever, so like, you know, before we can spend any more time together or whatever, whatever, I need to see negative test results from you. Well, the testing centers are backed up. You know, he's got to work. Other people have birthdays. They need to go school shopping. It becomes this complicated mess of here's a person who has, um, I don't know, let's say a fever, okay? And that person uh, is a loved one that you would like to be able to invite to some family engagement. Do you need to let everybody else know that they had a fever? Does there need to be some sort of group discussion as to whether or not they need a negative test result? Or maybe we should just exclude them and under the guise that we got to be better safe than sorry. And then you got people like me, and I don't look at it in any ill-fated kind of way, where I'm like, okay, so I could live with being around somebody who's got COVID, because it just doesn't... 
I don't know that bo- bother's not the right word, but it it doesn't create the same <clears throat> level of uncertainty with me, right? I feel like I would battle right through that situation if I started coughing or whatever the fuck else. I would go out and I would walk or run on a daily basis. What do you mean? You're supposed to quarantine. Right, but if I'm going to fight an infection and make my lungs stronger or whatever else with myself, right, then I'm going to exercise those organs and try to make them you know, the, the strongest and the best uh, possible adversaries for the disease that I could. It doesn't mean that I'm going to use medical science, but if you want to get into a debate with me about how I said, well, if you got cancer, you know, you said you would just take it like a man. Sure. I didn't say I'd cut my leg off or go to chemotherapy or lose all my hair or whatever else, right? I did not say that I wouldn't, you know, eat a healthy diet and exercise to do, you know, what I could to make the best natural chances against something. Okay, so there's the limit of my arsenal. And I don't look at any of these situations where anybody's got a physical symptom, a medical symptom, that you got a fever. He's got a cough. Oh, he's got a cough. Okay, he coughed. It's August. People are going to cough. There's a change in temperature right now. There's a tropical storm in South Carolina that's sending emergency conditions our way. There's flood waters and everything else. People are going through all kinds of other uh, stressful situations with the economy, with the supplemental checks from the government that accompanies your state and local unemployment. Like Those things are ending. Those are gigantic voids that people are fighting to not lose and to do something about. So when it comes to what to do with these folks who may or may not have the symptoms of this um, wicked virus, well, I hope we still include them. I hope that you don't look at any of those people and just outright turn their back on them, on make them go quarantine away for two weeks or three weeks or whatever, and hope for the best. I believe, as a member of a larger organism, right, not just me, but like the human species as a whole, that that support, like where I'm telling my friend, hey, baby, look, you're making the right decision. I've got your back, right? I support you. I think the same thing is true whenever you do it and you're inclusive of people who have medical conditions. That when you are in harmony with them, you're including them in your same space, your decisions, your social interactions. Sure, there's a good argument to be made that they're going to spread germs and possibly infect other people. It's a good argument. But I'd rather include them and we heal together or we face it together than for that one person to be isolated and, you know, and then as the group without that one person, the the five people over here and the one over there, we could be six together strong or we can be five worried people and one who's on their own and, yeah, but the five people live and the one person dies and the... I think we could all make it. That's my level of optimism. We all make it. Have some faith. 
courage. You know, don't be sitting there and, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things where, like, folks just do not consider how many people are really on your side. Okay? When I'm talking about supporting somebody, I'm saying, well, look, I'm spending my time on you. I'm saying optimistic things, or maybe I don't mention that I'm compassionate because your child might be sick. You didn't even say anything about my kid. What's that say about you? I'm not worried about them. It's not that I don't care and I'm not worried about them. You're creating a false dilemma by saying I don't worry about them or that I'm a bad person because I'm not throwing that right up on the forefront and saying, oh, my God, prayers and wishes and let's Venmo you some money for your kids. No, 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 no. I feel like that good people are going to have good results anyway, and I somewhat take that for granted. Um, and... It's one of those things where when I don't mention your hardship or I don't go out of my way to specifically send you some kind of greeting card because, oh, you're, oh you're, my mom's sick. You didn't even say anything about her. That makes you a real hooligan. Does it? Maybe I think your mom's going to make it and I have great faith in her. I'm just waiting on you to tell me that she's recovered. Hmm. That's where my level of faith is for your mom. That's my level of optimism for her. Are you dwelling on it and you want somebody else to hold your hand because you have doubts about your own mom? Oh. Now, how does that make me the bad guy because you're doubting your mom or your kid, whoever it might be? Mm. I'm willing to include people because I have this idea, this philosophy of you know the greater good together, right? Yeah, together we're going to make the world a lot hotter. We're going to make some stupid decisions. But if we include everybody, maybe we can make some more informed decisions and we don't have to worry about reckless folks, the rogue people who are involved in all sorts of different things, criminally and otherwise, where they are the people who end up being a school shooter or the guy who he just can't make it because we didn't pay attention to him in school. He fell through the cracks. Now he's stealing or whatever else, right? And he's just running away. Um, It's just one of those things where I just can't think the, the worst of the people around me. I'd rather include everybody, and then we know what they're up to, if they need a helping hand, I'm not a big socialism kind of guy, but I, when I grew up, I was in the Methodist Men, and we would raise money for building trips for community things. We were uh, members of the Carolina Cross Connection is where we spent uh, a week every summer. Um, and we'd go out, and if you're unaware of what, I don't know why you would know what Carolina Cross Connection is, but there are folks who, however they got into the system, uh, would be part of this um local camp there was five back when i went and around those camps were people who needed help um and so when we would go out there as a church group right we'd send a youth group it was no it was not some finite amount of people i mean some groups were bigger than others and as you went out there you would intermix with other church groups that were there you'd have this 
arrangement. It wasn't random, but we had what we could try to put together to be the strongest groups um, for the projects that we were on, right? And you go out to somebody's house who, however they got into the system, however we knew of their existence and their hardship, uh, might need cool seal. If you're unaware, that's like tarring a, a metal roof. So we, I can remember cool seal in a roof. I can remember people putting uh, new flooring into bathrooms, uh, redoing porches and decks and front doors and vinyl siding that was on houses and stuff. So some of the, the kids had different little skills. Some of them had no skills, and we just taught them a little bit about how to fix up these things on a house, like Habitat for Humanity. And then a lot of the uh, people who went, who were Sunday school teachers or active members of adults from the church and the community, had other practical handyman kind of skills. They could run a brake for vinyl siding. They could run a skill saw. They knew how to do pieces and parts of plumbing and stuff like that. It was no major renovations for these folks, but that's what we were doing, right? And so that, to me, is not like a form of socialism as so much as it's a form of goodwill. And those are two different things, right? Even in a capitalist, free enterprise society, we do give money away to charity. We do all kinds of things that help out the community around us, that make our business possible, that help our image and our reputation. So if you look at that and you're just like, oh, that's socialism. No, it ain't. There ain't no money changing hands. I'm not redistributing wealth. I'm just trying to help somebody out with a good will gesture. Maybe it involves labor and materials, okay? But I'm not redistributing that, right, from somebody else. We're voluntarily doing that for somebody, and that's completely different. Much like when I involve, you know, somebody who may or may not be in the best spirits or medical condition or whatever into my group outing or birthday or whatever it might be, trying to do that out of the goodness of my heart as a goodwill gesture from the group or, or my individual ability to invite that person to include them with the rest of us. Show that we got faith in you. We're risking our lives that you might infect us. Yeah, we might be. <laughs> we might be. It might be foolish. But <coughs> we as a species have done a tremendous amount of foolish things, and here we are today. So um, I just, I'm very hopeful that um, between the different trials and tribulations I've seen this week that some of these families, friends of mine or close, you know, I consider the brother and the sister to be family to me. Um, I hope that they make the decisions to stay together in the long run. They may have separate addresses. There may be debates about whether it was the right decision or who's capable of doing what and how some people look down on other people that were involved in the situation. But if you feel righteous about your involvement and you've done everything you can to give that other person a vote of confidence, then when they're out there doing something on their own, something independent, and they're rising above what other people thought was going to be this dire situation for them, you've really done more for them than anybody else. I'm not saying that the guy you kick off the train into the cold, you know, like Snowpiercer or whatever. I'm not saying <laughs> that the people that you put into the worst circumstances are the people you're helping the most. Let's let's not make that 
uh, a possibility. I'm going to clear that up. But if you have folks around you who need a little help, whom you could at least speak to them, and I ain't saying you're going to fill their head with false notions. No, make sure that you are a very true-to-form, plausible, realistic person, right? And say to them, look, here's where things change. And yet, I think, and I believe, and I'm supporting you in a way that you're going to be an enhanced version of yourself. You're going to be that much better. Not to be full of it, not to get my own privacy, not to swindle you or manipulate you into me having a more selfish, quiet life. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If I were to gain something from this, it would be seeing you succeed, and then you may look at some of the other things as perks for me, but really they're a side effect of having to watch someone that I'm with go through a growing pain. And they are not things that I can just peacefully enjoy. I'm still struggling and I'm still got your back. If I had to, I'd give them up to continue to have your back. Right? Worst case scenario, I'd take you back into my home or I'd do whatever I had to do to support you and give up my creature comforts for the greater good of the both of us. And I think the people that I'm I'm speaking about are are, are very um, warm-hearted about those situations. They would not turn their back on one another. And if it were an emergency or otherwise important situation, then the roles would be number one reversed, and they certainly would not. Uh, full throttle, just, you know, catapult this person out of their family, out of their life. That's, that's not going to be the situation. If my brother and I are not getting along and we live together and I say, look, Nick, you got to you gotta go, brother. He's capable of doing anything. Your family members are probably, for the most part, capable of doing anything. And if it were that bad... We would find a way with the nucleus of our family to put them into an alternative situation where somebody else is going to be the temporary role player. And, and, yeah, okay, so brother's going to go live back with mom and stepdad or whatever it might be. And they're going to maintain the integrity of his uh, structure. They're going to show him what he needs to know, and and then he's going to be on his way. They're going to teach him the missing pieces that kept him living with family and from being able to live on his own. And if they can't do that, do they really support him? Are they really looking out for his well-being if they're not willing to engage themselves and get their hands dirty? If they ain't willing to do that, why would you ever listen to their argument about trying to make you feel bad because he can't live with you? Right. Do as I say, don't do as I do. It's a line from Genesis. The uh, the way we... Is it called We Can't Dance? But the song is called Jesus, He Knows Me. And I 
I love Phil Collins in Genesis. Um, there's a we get to be my age, and you listen to as much music as I have. You got you got to expose yourself to different kinds of music. There's a line for everything, and <laughs> you know. And I, I I'm very thankful for for music in the course of um, my life. So I think I'm going to wrap this one up. Um, interesting to think that families or that co-workers or loved ones or anybody else would turn their back on people in any kind of situation and then like not involve them or to sort of shun them because oh you might give me the covid oh he can't live on his own what the hell ain't that something the duplexity of the hour uh of the hour of of the modern times to say that here are people we cannot include because they have to self quarantine. They got to be on their own. We can't include them. They might risk it all for us. And yet, in these other situations, modern times, here's, you know, he can't be on his own. Oh, yeah. What if he has coronavirus? Oh, oh hell yeah. He's on his own. He's his. <laughs> yon, yon, brother. I just can't, I just can't like. You know, if they're healthy, yeah, hell, we we got to keep them around. But if they they're showing any signs of weakness, like a runt, like somebody who's you know symptomatic or whatever it might be, got to cut them loose. <laughs> that's when you. That's when they need you the most. <laughs> I just don't know. So strange. Anyway, it is a peaceful uh, Friday night, and happy birthday. To Ava Grace uh, is turning five today. Actually, I'm not sure what her birth time is, but it's 1:21 a.m. Eastern time as I record this, and um, I am hopefully going to get to see that special young lady. She is quite beautiful. Had a very very nice dance recital. I saw some footage of this week. Worked very hard with her team uh, in High Point, North Carolina. Uh, and and she's going places. Let's hope she's going places, because when you got that much potential, don't hold it, hold it down, don't hold it back. Let her fly. Anyway, thank you for listening to me, and I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Somebody scream.